Hello and welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes for the week ending December 24th, 2020. Merry Christmas, Happy Christmas Eve, and we're going to try to do an abbreviated podcast video cast because I know people have stuff to do with the holidays. Uh, so first off, we're going to start off, I'd like to do the media clip so we can cover a lot of information in a short period of time. First and foremost, I'd like to thank Liz Clayman and Jacqueline D'Ambrosi Scales for having me on the Clayman Countdown on Tuesday. And the subject was uh, the year of the retail investor. And uh, I went on and it was interesting because no one knows, but there was some t statistics out earlier in the year that uh, the retail investor actually outperformed professional managers uh, for the first leg of the market from the March melt up. They were buying what professional managers were selling. They were being greedy when others were feel fearful. They were buying airlines, they were buying cruise stocks, they were buying beaten down stocks. And um, there was a National Bureau um, uh, of Economics report that came out and said that these Robin Hooders, as they're defined, because uh, many of them use the Robin Hood platform, they did not panic and they did not get margin calls during the March meltdown, and they actually acted as a stabilizing force in the markets. They were buying travel-related stocks, airlines, uh, entertainment, basically buying up what all the professionals, scared professionals were selling, and I thought that was uh, uh, a great insight into the change, and I think that's attributable to a number of things. One, they're younger, uh, so they're more risk-tolerant because they have a lot of time to make it back, Second, they're not scarred by the great financial crisis or uh, of 2008-2009 or the tech wreck of 2000. And lastly, obviously, the, uh, the quick and unprecedented government action didn't hurt either because there certainly could have been a lot of bankruptcies, but there weren't due to uh, the administration, Secretary Mnuchin, Chair Powell, and also Congress uh, came to a bi bipartisan agreement very, very quickly in the time of, an, of emergency. Uh, so, you know, the stimulus checks got them started, I think, and in the game. Uh, the second checks may sustain them, but the key is going to be whether they focus on um, which side of the market they focus on. So they, they were buying the bargains. That, that's a good thing for the long term. They were also buying a lot of the uh, high-flying tech and Momo stocks like the Zooms, like the Teslas, and like, you know, Pelotons and um, uh, and also Amazon, et cetera. So, so that worked for them in this first leg. But now as we're moving into a new business cycle coming out of a recession, uh, they may, you know, the disruptive tech IPOs, which Liz asked me, where do you think they're going to focus? I said, they'll probably continue to focus on two areas. One is the disruptive tech IPOs, where that's where they need to be careful because 100 times sales, buying companies at 100 times sales historically doesn't work out very well. There are a few exceptions. I think there were periods where you could have bought NVIDIA and Amazon at those um, uh, valuations, but even Amazon in the tech rec corrected over 80%, even though the business was growing and obviously recovered because it was a good underlying business. But not all of these IPOs are going to recover, so I'd be careful there, be very selective. But the bargain hunting, I think they've got it right. Uh, that does work, and I think if they not only... Sh 
shift over from that you know they're doing airlines they're doing cruise stocks i think you know as long as they're in the highest quality that should generally be okay a few of them will obviously go bankrupt but also shift to other left for dead sectors like banks defense stocks and energy uh this they're in a unique position and they can set themselves up for life over the next few years uh if they use this opportunity so uh so that was the basis of uh, the appearance with Liz on the claim and countdown again, thanks to Jackie and Liz for having me on. Um, this by the way is episode number 62 of the video cast boy time flies and episode 52. It feels like yesterday when we started. So, um, so thanks for that. Moving on, uh, this morning early on, I was up, uh, with, uh, Kristen Scholler on Cheddar and this was a longer segment. I uh, want to thank Kristen, Allie Thompson for inviting me on, and Carol, Cara Fellows for helping out to get everything coordinated. And um, I'm going to go through a number of things that I did have time to cover and some, some other things that I think would be helpful for the purpose of this call. Um, you know, we did see the case spike uh, in recent weeks. It seems to now be finally rolling over. It may rise up again, obviously, after the Christmas holiday. But uh, that caused a little softness in the short term on the economic data. We had misses in um, conference board consumer confidence, came in at 88.6 versus 97. Michigan consumer sentiment came in at 80.7 versus 81.3. And both existing home sales and new home sales missed. Existing home sales were down 2.5% versus down 1% expectations. And new home sales came in at 841,000 versus 995. I think that's going to be some temporary softness. You've got these regional shutdowns and, and government, uh, local government decisions that are uh, impairing growth. Uh, but we did beat on durable goods orders. That was very, very positive. Uh, came in at uh, plus 90 bips versus plus 60 bips expectations. And the most important two numbers of the week, continuing jobless claims continue to come down. Uh, 5.33 million versus 5.5 expectations. So that's really good. That's the most important number of the week. And initial jobless claims were uh, much better than expected. Uh, about 10% better than expected. Came in at only 803,000 versus 885. Uh, we're going to get more support with that from the stimulus package. And Kristen was asking, you know, what do you think is going to happen? Because Trump saying he wants $2,000, President Trump saying he wants $2,000 check versus uh, $600 checks, which is, you know, which is a good thing. I mean, he makes a good point. This wasn't their fault, uh, you know, getting their livelihoods taken away from them and uh, or businesses shut down or employers shut down. So you should give them some more money to make them whole. My general sense is this is just a negotiation tactic. He's going big so that they can meet in the middle. Where's the middle between 600 and 2000? It's right around where we were for the CARES Act, which is uh, 12, uh, lower income people were able to get $1,200 uh, checks per person and then for kids as well. So if we can get to that range, I think it It'll be a win all around because to get to, to the $2,000 check, the, the $900 billion package becomes a $1,300 billion package. Can they pull out some of the fat that was in it? Like um, I think there was Pakistani gender studies uh, was in the, the, the package, which is 
perfectly fine when we're doing well, but when we're in the middle of a crisis, uh, you know, money to Vietnam, money to all these countries. And, you know, look, we're a wealthy country and we've uh, developed goodwill and allies by supporting those in need around the world. And we'll continue to do that as a nation. It's just a question of timing. Is this the right time? And is this the right package to do that type of things? So maybe they'll pull out some of the things that aren't exactly essential at the moment and uh, do those later on. And that'll enable uh, Americans who are struggling due to this crisis to get back on their feet. Uh, so I think, number one, the money in the consumer's pockets is going to be great, whether it's 600 or 1200 or 20 or 2000 But most importantly, there's going to be about $300 billion of the PPP, small business, which was an astounding success. I believe Mnuch, Secretary Mnuchin was the architect of that initial package, and it worked like a charm coming out of the March meltdown. Uh, so we'll get a double dose of that, which is really good because this time we'll be getting it, you know, at 6.7% unemployment versus at 14.1% unemployment. So the impact is going to be dramatic. Uh, 15 billion is going to the airlines. They're going to bring back, I read in the Times, I, I'll point to that article, I think about 30,000 furloughed workers with that money. Uh, there will be 25 billion of rental assistance. So this is not only going to help consumers, this is going to help businesses. And, uh, and Main Street uh, for sure. And it's also gonna help banks because if uh, consumers have money, they're not defaulting, they're uh, paying their bills, they're getting you know back to work, getting jobs. And that's a great thing all around, which will take bank reserves down, which will, uh, which will afford much more lending, certainly profitability for the banks, but more important than that, a sustained recovery for the country due to credit expansion, which is required in every single cyclical recovery. So um, uh, cyclicals will continue to outperform as they have since the election. Um, you know, they do economically sensitive stocks do the best coming out of uh, two quarters of negative GDP growth, which we had in Q1 and Q2. Q3 positive 33.4% now revised up this week annualized. And Q4 is going to be it looks like 11% plus annualized, which is pretty phenomenal. And uh, my focus was on banks. I didn't get to it with Kristen, but because um, she wanted to know about the Santa Claus rally. So we'll talk about that, too. But, um, you know, we covered last week the Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey uh, showed yield curve steepening expectations at an all time high. Uh, the last three times they got this high among institutional managers were November 16, August 13 and October 2008. All three times were phenomenal opportunities to buy banks. Uh, as we covered on Friday, the Fed announced and in some sense shocked the market in a good way that banks can begin to buy back their stock again starting in Q1. Um, and 70% of the capital return to shareholders pre-pandemic came in the form of buybacks. Uh, over dividends. So that was positive. The yield curve is now the uh, 210 spread is now the steepest in five years. And the banks as an industry are over reserved. Uh, they reserved about 110 billion under the assumption we'd go from 14 to 20% unemployment. Instead, we went from 14 to 6.7. I think about half of that's going to come back and be reversed. That comes back as earnings per share. That's not priced in. And that's going to come back over the next four to eight quarters, probably $50 billion of earnings. That's not even in uh, S&P estimates or in individual bank estimates. Very, very constructive stuff. Um, 
The other thing you got to keep in mind, right now we have a 14% consumer savings rate. So they got stimulus checks. They didn't have a lot of place to spend it except for the Robin hoodies. They, uh, they bought Bitcoin and they bought uh, uh, Airbnb. And so far, they're, so far they're doing okay. I mean, we'll, we'll see how the story ends. But um, uh, for the most part, uh, consumers couldn't use it. They couldn't travel. They couldn't go out to dinner. So they've got a 14% savings rate versus a, a historic average of 5%. So you're, that's gonna, as that unwinds in the second half of 2020 after full uh, 2021 after full vaccinations, that's gonna be an extra trillion dollars plus of consumer spending that's not uh, uh, baked into the cake yet. Uh, that's gonna be just a boom like. Uh, of all booms. And that's why I've been talking five to 6% uh, GDP for 2021. People look at me like I have three heads. Just hang tight. I think you're going to be surprised. And um, the other thing you've got is four tw $4 trillion in money markets, cash on the sidelines. Uh, that's not a, a, a core catalyst, but it, 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 a lot of people did get out at the wrong time in March, and they're going to have to get back in because they still have to retire, unfortunately, at, at uh, not as good prices as they could have got. However, there is still hope, as we've covered in for the last few weeks, there are opportunities that can be just as good, if not better, than having bought the general indices in March and April at the lows. So, uh, so hang tight for that in our view. And... Um, uh, moving right along to uh, the general economy, um, you know, if you add up the CARES Act and this uh, Coronavirus Act or Stimulus Act, you're talking about $3.2 trillion of fiscal stimulus. GDP only contracted about 3.5% for 2020, give or take. That's only $750 billion. So just on the fiscal side, you've got an excess 2.5 trillion dollars in the system usually hits main street on a six to nine month impact maybe a little longer lag until everyone gets back out on the streets some some regions are still shut down uh and you couple that with pent-up demand i think we're going to see things that we haven't seen in decades in terms of growth rates inventories are at their lowest levels in history relative to economic activity that means production is going to have to ramp up rapidly which is going to be uh great for for production numbers uh, the output gap, which we've covered in recent weeks, went down to negative 10% in Q2. It's negative 3.5% now. That's the difference between real actual GDP and what it would be at full employment and productivity. So uh, last two times you had that kind of a drawdown were Q4 in 1982 and Q2 of 2009. Both were historic times to purchase the stock market at the beginning of multi-year bull market rallies. And I think the same situation we have right now. Uh, are we overheated in the short term? Yeah, we have some indication of that. The AAII bullish sentiment is still over 40. The National Association of Active Investment Managers equity exposure is uh, still over 100. Uh, CNN fear and greed did come down to 57 this week. So that's kind of a, a um, neutral reading. But, uh, you know, we've certainly got room to consolidate these gains at some point in Q1. Most people were looking for a correction in Q4 that never came. Uh, so any um, opportunity to do so, like 2009, you had a monster move off the, off the lows. We've had a 65% move off the lows. And then in 2010, you had some good correction. And 2011, you had good correction. Those corrections were not to be 
sold, they were to be bought. If you had sold them, you missed out on another eight to eight, nine years of rally, uh, which could have cost you your retirement. And it's gonna, and I think it's going to be the same situation here. Use any weakness in Q1 to uh, get more exposure. And where we're focused is value in cyclicals, namely banks, defense stocks, and energy for the next three to five years. Um, I think that they're going to be the relative outperformers. I think this antitrust drumbeat that's not only pounding in the U.S. and accelerating is also pounding in Europe, which we covered last week with the Digital Services uh, Act, or as I call the Tax Act, which is what it really is. Um, and that's not going to change. You know, Microsoft was effectively found innocent in their antitrust suit, but it, it set them back a decade in terms of innovation. They missed mobile. Certainly they came back after a long time, but they, but they got multiple contraction for about 10 years. And I think we're gonna have a similar headwind with these companies. They're not going anywhere. They're unbelievable franchises. They'll probably come out stronger because the government will place more restrictions that actually hurts competition versus helps them. So it'll give these companies more share, not less share, but that's a long process. And I think you go from offense and innovation to defense and preservation the mindset and the culture of the businesses changes during that headache and um and that's why uh one of the reasons that uh that we like cyclicals over over that that group our earnings continue to go up they're close to 170 i think that's low with what i said about banks and and boeing earnings coming back on i think it's going to be closer to 185 180 you know between 180 and 190 that's a that's above consensus goldman has uh, is an outlier at 175 and then guys like jim paulson out at luthold are closer to 200 um and that's just going to be a function of how fast can we get the vaccine in people and then Kristen and i talked a lot about uh the, the santa claus rally since 1950, the average performance from the Christmas Eve to the second trading day in January, that's seven trading sessions, is 1.33%. 78% of the time it's positive. The problem is if Santa doesn't come and you're negative, five out of the last six times since the mid-90s, it's been negative for the entire year. So we definitely want to see a positive print and get continued growth and keep the streak alive. Um... And that's really the, the story. As far as uh, the stimulus package, which she was concerned about, I think basically what you're going to come to is you're either going to have a big package or a bigger package. That That's really what it comes down to. Both had... Um, uh, veto-proof majorities in the in the votes so it will get through and the question is how big and at what time uh you know complete failure it'll be january 20th and it'll be bigger than it is now uh with the new administration more likely than not with the moratoriums rolling off i told Kristen i think it would get done by the end of the year either 900 billion or slightly bigger hopefully they'll meet uh, president trump in the middle and get the people who have been hurt the most 1200 bucks like they got in the first package and then we can that'll be more than sufficient bridge to get us to uh, spring when most everyone's vaccinated and the economy is humming again. So thanks to Kristen Scholler, Ali Thompson and Cara Fellows for having me on Cheddar this morning. And moving right along, we have um, uh, we ha we're quoted in a Yahoo Finance UK article. Uh, by Saleha Riaz. Thank you, Saleha, for having me in your article. This was about the um, virus mutation in the UK. It was a little scary. The market's uh, futures 
Dow futures were down like 450 or something like that on Monday morning on this basis because people were scared that, oh, if you have a mutation, the vaccines won't work and we're right back to February. It's not the case. Experts came out uh, and said, number one, the uh, current vaccine should cover this with no problem. The vaccine has actually already mutated three or four times. The vaccine covers all of those mutations. And in the possible slow, low probability event that the, the, it, the vaccine didn't work on this new strain, which is probably already in the U.S., by the way, uh, most experts think, uh, then uh, Moderna CEO said that they could modify it in six weeks and cover the new strain. The technology is there. It's easy peasy. So uh, so that was all good news, and that's why the markets rebounded. So, uh, and that, and uh, her question was, why were travel stocks up? And I said, quote, following the scare of the new strain mutation over the weekend, many doctors and experts were out saying, that the vaccines will we have will be effective against it. Even in a low probability scenario, the vaccine did not work against the new strain. It would be relatively easy to adjust the vaccines to protect, protect against this variant. And that's why the travel stocks were up. So thanks to Saleha Riaz and moving along to um, Reuters yesterday, I wanted to thank Devik Jane and Amber Warwick for including me in their article. And again, this was about the stimulus package. Um, and this was uh, uh, the, the, uh, markets shrugged off a threat that President Trump would not sign the $892 billion coronavirus relief bill, saying that the check amount should be increased. My quote was, either we'll get exactly what was passed, which is very positive for the economy, or we'll get something even bigger and the market likes it either way. So that nips that in a bud. Uh, here's a note, obviously, on the uh, Fed said banks can start buying back stocks again. So that was good news. Um, that came on Friday. Already a couple companies were out with announcements, Goldman and JP Morgan. Um, this chart here from Bloomberg shows the banks, the large banks are going to be the biggest beneficiaries of this surprise and positive announcement. Uh, although it wasn't a huge surprise because two weeks ago, uh, two weeks before the announcement, we were talking about CCAR as a possible catalyst into year end, and we did get it. So that's good news. Um, um, so basically you had, uh, JP Morgan said that its board has approved up to $30 billion of repurchases. Um, but, 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 so they'll be putting those to work very soon. Morgan Stanley's board authorized 10 billion of repurchases starting in the first quarter. Citigroup intends to resume its repurchases in 2021. Um, and Wells Fargo said that they provide guidance on plans when posting quarterly results in January. So that's just a couple weeks off. So while we expect to have modest capital distribution capacity in the first quarter, we continue to have significant excess capital above regulatory re re requirements, said uh, CEO Charlie Scharf. That was about a, at a conference um, like a week before this was announced. So he's basically saying, you know, this is their capacity in Q1. You can see um, this is their average quarterly income, their quarterly dividends, and then the room for buybacks. Uh, you know, a few hundred million in Q1, but then it's just going to ramp up after that. And you can see Goldman's, Morgan's, Citi's, Bank of America, and JP Morgan's capacity in that chart. Um, and 
uh, and Bank of America said, we'll continue to buy back stock as soon as we're allowed to. So they, they got the go ahead on Friday. So, so all the majors are going to be big major buybacks from Wells Fargo, Gold, uh, Goldman, Morgan Stanley, Citigroup, Bank of America, and JP Morgan. The buyback game is back on. And again, that's 70% of uh, capital return to shareholders pre-pandemic, and that's coming back. So uh, opinion follows trend. Carlton English was out with an article interviewing, uh, I think, an analyst from KBW. Yeah, uh, Tom Michaud. He's uh, the chief executive of Keith Briette and Woods, which is a major um, bank sector banking shop and uh, and analyst shop, sell side shop. So uh, she said, how do you think bank stocks will form in 2021? Bank stocks are going to be higher a year from now when they announce the vaccine. The regional bank index had its single best day of performance in its history. That's because the market realized that a vaccine took the worst case scenario off the table and you saw a recovery trade. Financials are still relatively inexpensive to the overall market. And when you look at the important variables that are worth measuring, most of them are breaking in favor of the banks. Analysts believe loan loss provisions will be lower. We've been talking about that since July. They believe net charge-offs will be lower, same thing. Non, uh, peak non-performing assets will be lower, and buybacks will start sooner. Well, now we know where they're starting next quarter. Uh, analysts have essentially zero loan growth next year for banks. I think there's a chance that the recovery could be better than that. It's going to be much better than that, by the way. And uh, lastly, the steepness of the yield curve benefits banks. And with the 10-year approaching, 1% is a good thing. I mean, 1% is probably low, but approaching 1% is better than where we were three or four months ago. I also believe the round of consolidation, there have been a number of mergers, which we covered in recent weeks, uh, to be viewed as responsible. I think the industry is doing a better job of consolidating, which will make much better banks and much better stocks. So that's that. You're going to see more and more of that coming out. What's in the package? We covered a lot of this. This is an article from Reuters. Uh, $166 billion is, is going to uh, the direct payments, $600 per adult and child. So I think that what, when all is said and done, maybe they can get that doubled and get $1,200 payments out, and that would be $324, take it out from some of the non-essentials. Um, that's for lower income. And then they'll have the extension of the $300 a week unemployment till uh, March 14th. They'll have the $15 billion in there for the airlines to bring back 30,000 workers, which will be good for the unemployment rate, uh, close to $300 billion for small business in the PPP, back-to-school funding, which that's huge, uh, along with child care assistance to get people back to work. Uh, a lot of women have had to leave the workforce to deal with taking care of children, and they can get back to work and get back to their careers once the schools are all open. Um, business... Uh, business meal expense deductions that will be huge for the restaurants uh, that's a big deal and um, farmers got some more money vaccine distribution 30 billion 13 billion for food assistance uh, internet access 7 billion to give Americans broadband internet access that'll be really really good uh, in rural areas and uh, and that's the story. So some some more uh, business programs, etc. So that is going to be huge shot in the arm. Again, two and a half trillion of excess over the decline of GDP. That uh, that'll hit the market on a lag basis, and that's that's just a, a great thing. Here's the headline in Wall Street Journal: Airlines to bring back thousands of workers after passage of COVID-19 aid. This is the uh, Almanac trader Yale Hirsch. Um, 
these are the stats that Ryan Dietrich had out on Market Watch for the Santa Claus rally. Again, 1.3% average and 78% um, of the time positive. This article was interesting that uh, on 24-7 Wall Street, the preliminary dogs of the Dow. Dogs of the Dow is basically when you buy the bottom 10 performers or the highest yielding Dow stocks at the end of the year, uh, and they outperform in the next 12 months. The laggards become the leaders. This is kind of, you know, uh, how I generally think about things, reversion to the mean. Uh, it, it didn't work for uh, 2021 for people who did this strategy, but over like 10 and 20 years, it outperforms by a meaningful amount. And the top 10 right now, barring any major changes in the next week, are Chevron, that makes perfect sense, and, and that's yielding 6%, IBM 5.3%, Dow 5.1%, Walgreens Boots Alliance, I think this is going to be a huge performer in 2021, yielding 4.6%. Um, Verizon 4.2, 3M, Merck, Cisco, Coca-Cola, and Amgen. Uh, my sense is that if you were to take these 10 stocks, uh, my sense is they, they'll meaningfully outperform in 2021. I, I don't play this type of systematic thing, but um, you know, for those who don't do this game 24-7, uh, this this lineup looks pretty decent for 2021. And you'll have an average dividend yield of, you know, call it 4%, 4, 4.5% relative to the 10-year at 1, which will probably go up to 125 to 150 next year, if not a little more. Uh, that is, that's a huge gain. And you'll have capital appreciation on top of that with high-quality, durable franchises. You can't go wrong. So that you might find helpful. This was the BioNTech CEO saying that we can we can adjust it if needed, but we're, we're not going to need to. Our vaccine covers it. And now on to the article of the week, the Sheryl Crow, Merry Christmas Baby, Stock Market and Sentiment Results. This was a remake of Otis Redding, I believe, uh, had the original, but I, I liked her beat a little bit better. And um, uh, effectively, we chose it for the song of the week to embody sentiment because uh, it said, Merry Christmas, you sure did treat me nice. Yes, you did. And certainly the market did treat us nice in 2021. So now we look forward to how can we continue that streak in 20, in 2020? How do we continue that streak in 2021? Uh, we covered the Liz Clayman, uh segment. Uh, the Santa Claus rally, these are some stats put out by Ryan Dietrich, which we've covered uh, quite a few. The average return was 1.33% for these seven trading sessions that started today through the second trading day of 2021. Almost 80% of the time, it's 78% uh, of the time is positive. And as you can see, the ramp up usually begins after tax loss selling on the 15th, which I covered with Kristen. She said, well, why does it go up at the end of the month? Number one, professional managers like to show a good performance, so they're generally not sellers the last week. Uh, it's what they call, quote, unquote, painting the tape. Uh, and two, uh, most of the tax loss selling, buying, uh, selling the laggards is done to harvest the tax losses against gains. And then uh, people start to buy up the laggards, and, and that's why things like the... Um, Dogs of the Dow strategy start work and and uh, etc. So um, this table shows that in those few years that the that Santa didn't come to town during those seven sessions when it was negative, five out of the six times the whole year was negative. So we don't want to see that. Um, and then there was a chart out from uh, Brett Arends on Market Watch showing 
U.S. small value versus large growth. This is basically saying banks and energy versus FANG plus uh, Microsoft. And you can see the last time it was at these levels was 2000 and there was a huge reversal from 2001 to 2007. If you own values and cyclicals, you made a fortune and it's showing that we're kind of making that similar inflection and that it's nascent. It's just getting started. So if you think you missed everything because the S&P is up 65%, look under the surface at the opportunities that are still available in banks, defense stocks and energy. And, uh, and that's just going to be a home run, I think, for the next, uh, you know, four to eight plus quarters, which is historically when they outperform in a new business cycle. So this is really good to see. And it was also evidence in the Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey this month we covered last week where you saw a shift along these lines for the, uh, for the first time in years. Huge money into value over growth uh, starting to come out of tech and coming out of cash for sure. So uh, value, value, mo money moving into value was the biggest move. Moving into emerging markets was the second biggest move, and money started to move into UK. Those, those three have been hated for some time. Also, big moves into commodities and banks, into small caps over large caps, and then industrials and energy. I haven't seen this positive bar in energy in a long, 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 long time. So it's nice to see that in December. Sentiment follows a roadmap. We put out this sentiment chart. I believe it's from a book 20 years ago, but it's been circulating around uh, forever and no one really knows who to attribute it to. If anyone knows who, let me know so I can put the source in. But uh, it basically shows the roadmap of sentiment from when things become exuberant to when things uh, panic out, discouragement, anxiety, aversion, denial, and then a return to confidence. And we put this out on um, uh, in October, uh, I think it was October 2nd, and um, because Wells Fargo was following the exact same pattern, I was j jokingly called it, which maybe was unjokingly, uh, it was the most hated stock in the S&P 500, and I said, look, you know, and this is basically where we were. I think I put it out October 2nd. And I said, look, we're in aversion. So we had hit, you know, this was returning confidence. That was in uh, late 2019. It got up to $51, even though the yield curve was inverted, by the way. Now the yield curve is the steepest it's been in five years, which uh, I think I have it here. I'll bring it up. Hold on. Yeah, take a look at this. This is the 210 spread. Look how high this is. This is the highest it's been since 2010. The difference between the two-year yield and the 10-year yield. Uh, and you can see what happened to financials during that period, just straight up for literally 10 years. Uh, same thing when it got steep in 2003 to 2007, straight up the green line is financials. That's where we are, folks. Everyone keeps focusing on rates are so low. Well, the short end is pinned to basically zero. So you have infinity at every basis point that the 10-year ticks up is just straight to the bottom line for banks. And you can see this spread. So it's not absolute rates like the 10 years really low historically. Yeah, we know that. But it's the spread between what they pay for capital, which is basically zero, and what they charge for capital, which is a lot more. So um, so net interest margin, I think you're going to see in 2021 is much better than people anticipate. Loan growth will be better than anticipated. And uh, reserve reversals will will start to come back as earnings straight to the bottom line. And uh, and that's a good thing. So this is really interesting because we've had this sideways consolidation. We, we obviously... we 
shot up 45% off the lows in the last six weeks. And we've been consolidating sideways. I'm like, huh, why are we consolidating sideways? I went back to this sentiment map and that's exactly what you're supposed to do. So you had this uh, enthusiasm, subtle warning, panic. Then you shot back up in May, June. You had that first fake out anxiety. Now you've had this long aversion, longer than expected. It's just been like depressed aversion here, shaking people out. And now when you shoot back up after aversion, what do you do? You consolidate again up in this range. And then once you break through, it shoots through like a rocket. Now, this doesn't happen every time. It rhymes. But this is this human nature continues to repeat over and over and over. We've gone through the fundamentals, by the way. I don't want to, you know, come across I'm a technician. That's not my game. But I, I, am, I am more interested in sentiment than I am with technicals once I've done the work on the fundamentals. We've covered the work on the fundamentals, historic discount to book. It's done it two times. It reverted back to book within months in 2009 and in early 90s, the only two times in its history that it's done that. Uh, we're still at probably a 30% discount to book. We were down to a 43% discount to book. And uh, book is now about $40 a share. So that would take us right back to returning confidence levels where you get back up to this this level here, which is about 43, 44. And it could happen super, super quick once you break through this consolidation, which it looks like we're on the verge of doing. So um, more and more people are starting to talk about this. I think more people that have to play catch up are going to get involved. And so you'll get some smart people. You know, they didn't listen down here. But, but now that it's up 45%, I think you're going to get a lot of people getting involved. And then you'll get a bunch that still won't listen and say, banks, uh, I don't know, you know, PayPal is going to take over the world. And then when it's up another 50% or 100 plus percent from the bottom, that's when you're going to get a lot of the retail money coming in to buy the breakout. And they'll still make money because I think over the next three to five years, you're going to see this stock at, you know, 60, 70, $80, probably $80 because of the millennial tailwind, 85 million housing formation credit growth, all the money in the system. So uh, I think Wells Fargo is one of the best position. Charlie Scharf, he gets digital, his background with Visa. So he's going to be ahead of the pack, and that's a good thing. Uh, always remember, opinion follows trend. Um, the, you know, you saw the articles just this week. You know, banks, can, banks are buying back stocks. Banks are going to go higher. Uh, Wells Fargo set to be freed from the anti-money laundering consent order that they had in 2015. Now we need the asset cap removed from 2000. And 16, and uh, and then we'll be off to the races. So, um, so returning confidence is is in the mid 40s, which is right around book, which makes a lot of sense. A lot of stars are aligning for that one, in our view, and we love it. So uh, we're we're gonna keep, um, you know, keep riding it. That that's really what it comes down to. Uh, Short term sentiment we covered, still extreme, but. I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt that it's closer to the 2016 post-election period in a new, in, in, and uh, the market continued to trend for another 14 months. I think that's more likely than the 2018 period of sentiment extreme where you did get the meaningful pullback in, in Q1 of 2018. I think all the conditions better resemble the end of 2016 than the end of 2017, early 2018. So we'll continue to give that the benefit of the doubt unless it proves us wrong and then we'll adjust. Um, fear and greed moderated, that's now a neutral uh, reading, which is good for bulls. And um, this is still extreme because managers have to chase in the year end. Now, our message has not changed for the week. 
while the short-term easy money has been made in the general indices up 65% plus since the March lows, I think the easy money is just getting started in left for dead sectors and stocks. I believe that banks, defense stocks, and pockets of energy, and when I say defense stocks, uh, someone made a comment on a Seeking Alpha article, not defensive stocks, not not uh, defense, defense and aerospace stocks like your Raytheons, your Boeings, your... Um, your General Dynamics, your Lockheed Martins, you know, aircraft, okay, that's going to benefit from this recovery and satellites and all the different things to take us to the future. Uh, so banks, defense stocks, and pockets of energy. Energy, you have to be on the highest quality. The low qualities are going to continue to go bankrupt. The highest qualities are going to continue to gain shares. There's been no major investment for the last five years, and demand is going to come back uh, in, in a serious, serious way with full vaccinations. Air travel is going to go through the roof, global pent-up demand. And I think it's going to be more on the retail side than it's going to be on the business side, and that's a good thing because it's, it's a very high high margin business. So um, uh, okay, so while many worry that institutional managers and retail investors alike are overly confident, which, you know, many metrics indicate, it may just be the case that we'll get the anticipated correction when everyone has forgotten about the euphoria narrative, which is, which is pretty pronounced right now. Sometimes confidence is just what the doctor ordered at the beginning of a new cycle. This chart by J.C. Parrott's speaks exactly to the point we've been making in the last two weeks notes um so he's showing this breath thrust and the uh other times that it's happened over the last 50 years uh these green vertical lines show yeah you've had a key, you know you had a monster rally off the bottom in 19 that looks like 1968 is that 1968 um but that was the beginning of a rally. Then you had it in 77. That was the beginning of a, a long-term rally. And then you had it in 2009. That was the beginning of a rally. And you've just had it. And, and even it, even though the thrust comes after the first move, the up 50, 60%, it's just the beginning of a multi-year long-term bull, bull trend. Uh, so you want to keep that in mind. And that, that really just sums up what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. So great chart there. You can follow him on Twitter. And while everyone's looking for now, I think the odds favor a Q1 pullback after most managers have given up on a correction and followed the chase. Only when everyone's in can they open the trap door. And with all the cash on the sidelines, everyone's not in yet. So I think we're going to need a few more weeks to push everyone in. And then they'll, you know, kind of consolidate the games a little bit. And that'll be to be bought, not to be sold. Um, remember the fierce corrections in 2010 and 2011 after the huge move off the March 2009 lows. I think we'll have similar opportunities in, in, uh, in the next year. Uh, and we'll be there to use any weakness that comes our way to add more value in cyclical names to hold for the next three to five years. So uh, more unusual activity, uh, options activity in Wells Fargo this week. Someone bought 3,600 contracts of March 3,250 calls. And I'll just leave it, uh, sign off on a shorter than normal podcast this week because I know you've got holiday stuff to get to. Um, with Benjamin Graham, I saw this quote, the intelligent investor is a realist who sells to the optimists and buys from the pessimists. So keep that in mind. Everyone wishing everyone a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and we'll see you next week to wish you a Happy New Year. So for now, uh, enjoy the holiday and make it a great one. Take care.